0: You're listening to Wholesaling Inc, episode number 751. So what I'm going to tell you is you don't want to be overconfident. You always want to know, regardless of the decision you're making in your business, you got to be prepared for the fact that as much as it seems like a slam dunk, you might be wrong. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. Welcome to the Wholesaling Inc. Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. Excited that you're with me today. This is a solo podcast, so it's just going to be me and you, Wherever you're at, if you're driving in your car or taking a walk or however you listen to your podcast, I know we all do that in different ways. I'm going to start off with a question, uh, and this question is going to lead pretty quickly into what you're going to get from this podcast today. But my question is this, what's the one thing you do in your business more than anything else? The one thing you do in your business more than anything else. What I'm going to argue today is that it's making decisions. You ever just sit back and ask yourself in a day, in a week, in a month, as you're running a business, how many decisions you're required to make on a daily basis, particularly if you have a team, because you're not only answering and figuring out the uh, decisions that you've got to process for yourself, but you're doing that for a lot of members in your team that are coming to you every day. We call those, you got a minute meetings. Hey, you got a minute, you got a minute, I got a question. So if that is the case, if that's the one thing that we do, I'm going to follow up with this next question. What is your methodology for making decisions? Have you ever stepped back and really asked yourself, do I have an actual systematic process, a methodology for how you make decisions? Or are you just making decisions? I know for myself, up to maybe a couple years ago, I was just making decisions. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't intuitively and maybe if you thought about it, sat down and maybe you're able to write out some principles or really maybe some best practices on how you make decisions. But I know for myself, I really didn't have a grid for making decisions. And I sat back to myself and I really questioned that. I was like... If making decisions is the thing that I do more than anything else in my business, how is it that I've never sat down and really come up with a methodology? And so what we're going to talk about today is I'm going to give you a methodology for making decisions. In my opinion, I think this is probably one of the best gifts that I can give you this year because if decision-making is the thing that you're going to do the most... And this podcast is going to help you make better decisions. And you're making thousands a year. You can imagine that we can uh, move the needle quite a bit in your business and your personal life because running a business, being a father, being a husband, all of the roles in which we have, we're just constantly making decisions. The content I have today is not original. I do want to give credit to Chip and Dan Heath. They wrote a fantastic book called Decisive. And so some of the information today I'm going to be pulling is uh, directly from their book, as well as just some other books and stuff that I've read on decision-making to really help me figure out my process. So let's hop in. Let's get right to the meat. We're going to break this down really into two parts. First, we're going to talk about the four villains of decision-making. And then lastly, I'm going to just kind of give you a few additional kind of tips that I have picked up along the way that I find that like I'm constantly like daily to weekly utilizing in my decision-making. So let's hop in. The first villain of decision-making is what's called a narrow frame. It's really spotlighting one alternative at the expense of all others. So you always find yourself saying, well, should I do this or that? A lot of times people will call me to help them like think through a decision. And what I always find is they come to me with only two things. It's like, hey, should I either do this or that? And the villain of decision-making, that is a narrow frame. It's being stuck with only two options. And so what I want to give you today is really the first thing that you want to do when making decisions. I mean, the very first thing I do is you want to widen your options. So when somebody comes to me, what I do is I say, whoa, 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 I know that you have a decision to make between this or that, but let's sit here and find three to five more options than the two that you've brought me in order to make sure that we are looking at this problem or challenge that you have from every direction. What happens when you widen your options is you remove yourself from getting stuck between two things. And all of a sudden, new options come to life that you didn't think of. Sometimes it's a combination of two things or like a hybrid, or it could be an option. You're like, I didn't even think about that. And in my coaching and just helping friends, when I sit down and I do that, they're always like, whoa, I didn't realize that I had that many options to take a look at. So Really the first technique, the thing I would tell you to take a look at is make sure that you don't have a narrow frame, make sure you sit down and you actually widen your option. The second villain is this, confirmation bias. You're not really truly and objectively analyzing a situation, but rather you're looking for confirmation for what you really subjectively already want to do. You're fundamentally like cooking the books with the data that you're collecting And really what you're looking for is reassurance rather than truth. So I don't know about you guys, but if my heart really gets set on something and I say that I want to be objective about it, the reality is I'm hunting for information that makes me feel good about choosing the thing that I've already decided that I want. That's not real decision-making. That's confirmation bias. And so really the second thing that I would tell you is the tactic that you want to do is you want to reality test your assumptions. Let me say that again. Reality test your assumptions. You want to come in with a clean slate. You want to come in and be what's called neutral. Being neutral is the idea that I am okay regardless of the outcome. Now, that's a tough place to get to, particularly if you're emotionally wrapped up in the outcome of maybe something that you want to have happen. But I'm telling you that getting neutral... And I'm utilizing that from Terry Looper. He talks about that in a book that he wrote called Sacred Pace. He, as a billionaire, said, one of the most important things I ever learned to train myself to do was just to get neutral. Like I know that I might want an outcome, but I've got to step back and I've got to just be okay with either outcome. And if I put myself in a place of neutrality then I'm going to make a good decision because I'm not going to allow what I want in my confirmation bias to come in and really corrupt the process of making the right decision. And so I think this is a huge one because we know we're emotional. Um, If you're listening, you realize that fundamentally what you do is sales. And most people make decisions and sales out of emotion. You you want them to. That's why people buy on the uh, showroom floor. That's why... You don't want that seller to get off the phone. Uh, You want them to make that decision in the moment. But I'm wanting you to be on the other side of this and the fact that you're having to make a decision. And I want you to be able to learn to make decisions based on data and really remove any type of confirmation bias that you have. So I think that that's really important. Let's go to the third one. The third villain of decision-making is short-term emotion. This is a really big one. It's when you get excited with that new idea that you have, when when you come across maybe something you really want to buy that you haven't heard of or whatever it is, there's that moment that that emotion, that excitement, and this is really true for those of us that are entrepreneurs, man, we get hyped up. I don't know if you've ever gone to a mastermind or maybe you got off the call with someone and they were like four or five good ideas. And I mean, you're just like on your toes excited. Like, like, I can't wait. What you have to understand is that is actually a villain of decision-making. And what you want to do and the third tactic is you want to attain distance before deciding. You want to allow that emotion to run out of you so that you can come back and make an objective decision. And so... I'll give you a really practical thing that I picked up again from Terry Looper. He calls it the twenty four seven six rule. I, I live by this rule. If I receive an invitation to do anything, I will not say yes to that invitation unless I sit on it for 24 hours. It could be to come speak on a podcast. It might be to go to an event, whatever that looks like. Again, something that's going to require time. Like I don't do that if a friend asks me to lunch. Obviously, I'll go to lunch. But there are times that we get invitations for things. And so you wait 24 hours. If I get a new idea, and again, ideas are popping in my head all day long, I will express that idea to my COO or my team, and then we'll shelf it for seven days. And we'll come back and we'll relook at it seven days later to see if that idea. Was as good as we thought it was when the emotion was there. And I'm telling you, it's really surprising. I'll go back seven days later and I'll ask myself, like, what was I thinking? Like, that idea was not as great as it felt in the moment. And then the six stands for six months. So if you have some type of death or divorce or disaster or even a windfall, Terry Looper will tell you don't make any decisions for six months. You know, this is a big rule, particularly with people that sell companies. You know they get a big windfall of cash that comes in, and what you'll always hear, and what I've seen from guys that have sold their company and made millions, is they'll literally sit back for six months, sometimes to a year, and they will not make a decision about what they're going to do with that money, what their next, uh, you know, venture is going to be, etc. So the twenty four seven six rule is something that I've utilized. I would utilize it again, like literally daily, weekly basis that's been really valuable for me. So again, that villain is short-term emotion and you want to make sure that you attain distance before you make a decision. The last one is this. What makes the fourth villain for bad decision-making is overconfidence. You have got to use the tactic and understand and prepare for the fact that you're wrong. I see people come in and they have such assurance almost a bit of cockiness about a certain move or strategy that they're about to implement. And there's really no humility in understanding that the fact that they might just completely miss it, might have been completely wrong about it. And then I'll circle back around with that person and ask, well, how did that particular decision you make go? And they're like, oh man, that thing just completely fell apart. The wheels fell off, et cetera. So what I'm going to tell you is you don't want to be overconfident. You always want to know Regardless of the decision you're making in your business, you got to be prepared for the fact that as much as it seems like a slam dunk, you might be wrong. So again, the model that I'm giving you is what's called the RAP model, W-R-A-P. And so that's a great way to remember these four tactics. And again, those are widen your options, reality test your assumptions, attain distance before deciding, and prepare to be wrong. So I love the RAP model. I use it all the time. I've shared it a lot with my multiplier brothers, different people that come to me for decision-making. Because again, if the number one thing you're doing in your life and in your business is making decisions more than anything else, you need to have some type of, call it scientific, call it a proven system, some systematic way in which you are processing all of the decisions that you have to make. Because think about it what is going to determine the success of your business more than anything else? I would argue it's going to be the level at which you make great decisions. People that run great businesses, if you go back, the number one common denominator is they made a lot of great decisions. Now, you're going to make bad decisions. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make fail. That's okay. That's part of it. There's no way that you're going to run 100% in your decision-making. But if you can move your decision-making ability up 20, 30, 50% better... Can you imagine that over the trajectory of 5, 10, 20, even 30, 40, 50 years as an entrepreneur? It's unbelievable where that could put you at when it comes to the fact of being a business owner for a long period of time. So that's why I really wanted to take the time to share this with you guys, because I really do feel like, and I know this word is overused, but I really do feel like it's a game changer if you really understand the importance of decision-making. So let me go to the second part of this. I want to Uh, really kind of close with just a few more tactics to consider. First of all, there's the 10-10-10 rule. When you're making a decision, you want to think long-term. You know, If you've read anything on Jeff Bezos, there was a great um, biography written about him. And really, they'll tell you that Jeff Bezos' greatest skill is the fact that he's a long-term thinker. He makes decisions based on what this is going to look like 10, 20, 50, even generationally from now. That's really hard to do because we tend to be shorter distanced in our thinking. You know, we're thinking about this year, this quarter, this week. We're not thinking about a decade from now. So the 10-10-10 rule is, hey, if I make this decision, how am I going to feel about this 10 minutes from now? How am I going to feel about this decision 10 months from now? And how am I going to feel about this decision 10 years from now? What I like about that grid is it's really kind of helping you think about both sides of the spectrum. How am I going to feel about this decision quickly, you know, really soon in the process after, but more importantly, how am I going to feel about this decision long-term? And so I think that that's a really, really important thing to understand. The second one is, you know, you've ever found yourself really agonizing over a decision like you're just completely torn about it. I really love what uh, Chip and Dan Heath talk about with this particular aspect. What they'll tell you is that is usually the sign that you have two core values that are actually conflicting with each other. It's kind of like there's a showdown going on between your core values. So let me give you an example of one that I see quite a bit in multipliers. Somebody will call me and they'll go, hey, I'm really thinking about taking my business to the next level. Like I want to go bigger. But the problem is I'm concerned about it taking away from the time with my family. I'm worried about losing the lifestyle that I currently have right now. But man, I really have this desire to grow and get bigger. And that's a really conflicting thing because what I point out in the moment when I'm talking to that person is I say, I can tell that you have two core values that are working here right now. You have a core value that you desire to make things better. You're a builder. You love to grow. That's one of the things that you value. You love to make things better. But the challenge you have is you also have a core value when it comes to your family and your time, and you want to make sure that you're a good steward. So the reason that this decision is so agonizing for you is because these two core values are in conflict with each other. So what you have to do in a moment like that is you have to sit back and understand that the reason that this is so conflicting is because it's getting down into really the soul of your core values. And really at that point, what you have to do is you have to look at those two core values and ask yourself, well, which of these two core values is more important to me? And usually when you look at it that way, when I talk to guys, that becomes an easier decision for them in the example that I gave, because what they'll say is, well, Obviously, my lifestyle and my relationship with my kids and my family is more important. So, you know, I'm going to continue to get bigger, but I'm going to be cautious as I do that. I'm not going to go as heavy into that process as I was thinking about, you know, going Mach six, burning at both ends type of mentality. And so, again, it brings a lot of clarity. The next one is um, this really is kind of pilot language. Uh, There's a word that's called a lemur, pilots use it. And what it is, is that vague feeling that something isn't right. And uh, in my decision-making, and I call call it your gut, people will say that. They'll tell you a lot of times as you get older in business, just to trust your gut. If I were to find what your gut is, it really is the feeling that has been put together by all the experiences that you've had that have been layered on top of each other. So the longer you're in business, the more experiences you have, the stronger your gut gets. There's just something that's like, I've been here. I know this. There's something that I recognize about this that I understand. And so what I'll tell you is pay attention to the lemurs. If you're in the decision-making process and just something in your gut's not right, don't ignore that. Don't... Again, there's two types of people that are listening right now, right? There's those of you that are what we call organizers, right? By nature, you tend to be extremely analytical. You're super data-driven. That's great. You're the one probably I'm speaking most to on the side of really trusting the lemur because you're like, well, this is what the data says. I'm not really going to trust what I'm feeling. And those of you that are listening on the other side, you by nature, you know, are uh, entertainers uh, using, you know, the core map, commanders, organizers, relators, entertainers. You really are emotionally driven, right? You've got a lot of high energy. You're actually on the other side of that. You probably are more susceptible to hearing the lemur what I would challenge you on is you probably got to quiet down a little bit and actually spend more time looking at the data. So you don't want to be on either side of that spectrum. I think that really learning to understand your personality and utilizing both data as well as emotion uh, being your gut, I think both those things will serve you well long-term in your business. And then I want to leave you with what I would consider The greatest question that you can ever ask. I picked this up from Andy Stanley. He wrote a book about it. It's called uh, The Best Question Ever. And he says, hey, there are a lot of times where the decision that you're going to make is not very black and white. There's not really a right or wrong to what you're doing. And honestly, I'm kind of steering even a little bit out of business, more into kind of the moral aspect of your personal life as well. Right? So there's a lot of decisions that come up where they're just gray and you don't know what to do. And so Andy Stanley wrote a book. He did a talk called The Best Question Ever. And he said, here's the question that you ask yourself in the moment. In light of my past experience, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? You got to let that simmer just a little bit. What is the wise thing to do? That is such a powerful question because it moves into the gray area because you're no longer asking, is this good or bad? Is this true or false? Is this right or wrong? You're simply asking yourself, what is the wise thing to do? So let me kind of give you a couple examples of how this might work in leadership to break this down, right? Is it Wrong for me to drink alcohol at outings with uh, my team members. If you run a team, Uh, again, I'm bringing this up because I've actually been a lot of circumstances where I've seen this, and maybe observed a leader with their team, or maybe they're coaching students or whatever, and they're a little bit tipsy. And I'm going, I don't know, you know, is it wrong to do that? No, I'm not going to say that you can argue that's wrong. But if you ask the question, is that the wise thing to do? I would probably tell you no, I don't really think that's the wise thing to do is to consume alcohol in front of the people that look up to you for leadership. So you can see how that question cuts through of right or wrong versus wise. Let me, let me give you another one. Is it wrong for me as a married person or a leader to go have lunch with somebody of the opposite sex? Is that wrong? Uh, again, I don't think you're going to get in and argue if that's right or wrong, but I'll ask this question Is it the wise thing to do? I would probably argue that it's not because, you know, if you're in a leadership position and there's a particular, you know, reputation that you have, and let's say someone just walks by, they don't hardly know who you are. Maybe they're a competitor and they see you sitting there having lunch with someone. Guess what? People have imaginations, right? We also understand uh, with the way things work that. How do affairs begin? A lot of times, they begin just with a conversation with the opposite sex. That's where it begins. So, again, that's a little bit more on the personal moral side. But I want to give you an example of, like, you know, is it wrong to to do that? I'm not going to say that you can argue that that's wrong. And you might be listening right now and go, "I don't think there's anything wrong with it." I'm not here to debate right or wrong. But what I'm here is to ask you and give you a new question to ask yourself in those circumstances what is the wise thing to do? In light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? For me personally, if I were to be vulnerable for a second, I would tell you when it comes to alcohol, based on my past experience, I was a, definitely a troubled kid, got into a lot of stuff when it came to drugs and alcohol in high school. You know, Is it wrong to drink? No, I don't think it's wrong to drink. But if I take that question for myself, and I say, Hey, in light of my past experiences, my present circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, is it wise for Chris Arnold to drink? No, it's not, to be honest with you. So that's why for me, um, that is something um, for the most part of my life, I have done really intentional work about steering clear from. Now I have friends that, you know, moderation is not a problem for them at all. They can have a beer here and there, and it's not an issue, but I do find um, a lot of us uh, entrepreneurs tend to have pretty excessive personality. So I would say that the uh, anomaly when it comes to entrepreneurs is moderation. What I tend to find usually is excessiveness. So I just want to give you some examples of that question there. I think there's such power in asking the question, what is the wise thing to do? And I think this is such an important podcast um, because I want to go right back to what I was saying at the very beginning. And that is, you know, when you take a look at running a business, being a leader, fulfilling all the roles that you're called to do every day, you're having to make decisions. And if you have to make decisions, what I would say is just like you're sharpening your skill for, you know, marketing, just like you're sharpening your skill to become more financially literate, uh, just like you're sharpening your skill to convert better, uh, to be better on sales when you're out in front of a seller, whatever that looks like for you are you sharpening the most important skill that you need? And that's decision-making. And so that's what I wanted to challenge you with today. I was personally challenged with it myself. It's been super valuable for me. So I want to take some time to share it with you. So thank you guys so much, uh, as always, for tuning in to the Wholesaling Podcast. And as always, I will talk to you soon when I add more value and I'll catch you guys later. Thanks so much.